I had no, again, had no idea what it was about. John was a horny guy. <laughs> <laughs> back i'm gervier brahm here with Schmuckar sandu and we are screen off script this week we're gonna be talking more about tiff we're gonna be talking woman king pearl and all the major movie and tv news of the week i am a general you are still a child i want to fight for my king to be a warrior you must kill your teeth behold the bravest of the brave the woman king. In our first segment, we're going to be talking Tiff, like I said, but check in the description if you want to hear for Woman King, Pearl, it's all there. Let's talk about Tiff a little bit because mm. last week we talked about it, but it was basically us coming off our first weekend. Yeah, I've never watched so many movies, period, in yeah. such a short amount of time, let alone absolute bangers. Yeah. Like there's, I think, three, four, maybe five movies that I could see doing really, really well during award season and we've watched all of these in the space of what 10 days yeah i i would be shocked if we haven't seen best picture in the last like week or whatever yeah right Uh, the one thing i will absolutely give massive praise to tiff on top of everything we talked about last week is just kudos to whoever that selection committee is yeah kind of heading into the the festival i was kind of thinking back what i considered to be the best movies of the year and right at the top of that pile for me was elvis and everything everywhere all at once but now kind of like heading into the final quarter of the year, there's like at least three or four other movies I can easily throw into the mix there. Yeah. yeah, we were really fortunate just to be able to watch a lot of films, obviously like ahead of schedule than we would have gotten to see later in the year. But mm. I kind of wanted to just talk about what some of your highlights were, maybe even because we're going to be talking about Woman King and Pearl in more detail. But I kind of want to just get like a glance of what you enjoyed so far. What kind of stands out to you as those heavy hitters for the year? More so than that, I kind of want to just start off with what was, in your opinion, the best movie that you saw at TIFF so far? That's easy. It was Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, you know, obviously it won the Palm Door at Cannes, had a lot of hype going in. I knew very little about the movie before we started watching it. And then afterwards, I was just like profoundly just affected by not just what we had seen in terms of story, script, performance, and just the way everything was pieced together. Mm-hmm. But then when you find out that the lead actress you know, had just literally passed away a few weeks prior. Yeah. Uh, It's so tragic. It is tragic. But yeah, you're right. As far as like impact uh, and what I kind of walked away with and like just what kind of stuck with me after the fact of after the watch, we're watching a lot of movies, like Mm. so many movies. And I feel like by the end of the festival, it's hard for something to actually stick. But the way Triangle of Sadness was presented was just Unlike what I absolutely expected, especially the fact that it did win a Palme d'Or, mm-hmm. I was expecting like a very different film. Right. This almost feels like something that I know will be will receive massive critical and I think like commercial acclaim as well. Like I think it really has that potential of being a bigger film than I initially had thought it was going to be. I don't know if it's got the legs for big time commercial success. Uh, critically, absolutely. Uh, the other movie that I think does have the legs for commercial success in addition to critical success is Empire of Light, Sam Mendes's latest movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's got all the components, the director, yeah. the actors and, and everything you know it's dealing with in terms of mental health and racism and things of that nature. just so, so relevant in terms of what's going on in the world today. Um, Another one, honestly, uh, I don't, I don't want to dismiss this. And we talked about it last week was... As far as like top tier of the week goes, Biosphere still stood the the test of time for yep. me. Like 
And at the end of the day, that was one of the most interesting experiences for, for the entire film festival. And on top of that, like when we are talking about what stood out as the best movie of the week, mm-hmm. Biosphere is absolutely in that conversation for, for sure. Me. It absolutely is. And and on top of that, what was like uh, one that maybe you wouldn't put as the best movie that you saw all week, but one that kind of sticks with you otherwise, just as a personal kind of note? That's a great question. I'm probably going to go with Sanctuary. Mm, me like too. I had no, again, had no idea what it was about. John's a horny guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, uh, you know, just as a preface, that movie is about like this dominatrix that has this relationship with this rich man. I think that's as much as plot details I would be comfortable giving out. Sure. Uh, But the reason I appreciate it, and I've I've mentioned this in so many episodes now, but I love independent cinema when it's so reliant on strong story, strong script, really well thought out characters and fantastic dialogue. And Man, it's just very, very strong stuff from a from a story and a screenwriter perspective. Uh, something that I didn't, I wouldn't put in my kind of top three, top four of the entire festival. But I generally was kind of blown away with the experience. The funny thing is, like when I walk away from this movie, the the bigger takeaway I have is not only did I absolutely love the movie and I mm. love the progression of the story and the way everything kind of escalates, but yeah. more so than that, I walked away thinking, oh, I am at, like I already thought Margaret Qualley is a fantastic actress, right? But on top of that, Chris Abbott is like somebody I'm so massively interested in mm-hmm. now that he feels like a guy like I can invest my time into. I mean, I can get excited about seeing him because his performance was so strong in this one piece. And uh, now I'm just massively excited to see where he goes after this. Yeah. How are those pickles? Real good. They were the fancy kind. Mm. I feel like there weren't any bad experiences from any of the movies that we watched anything stand out as a negative experience or even like you know what this was the dud of the bunch i wouldn't go as far as to say negative but just kind of like you know meh i was like if i if i missed out on that screening it wouldn't have kind of ruined my day probably my policeman Mm. like i I thought it was over the greatest beer run ever that, that, that is well. atrocious. That's probably the worst. Listen, I'm going to be honest, all yeah, right? If I'm going to have a part where I complain in this goddamn show, my the greatest beer run ever yeah. is one of the most pointless <laughs> movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I almost forgot we watched that for a second. Like, genuinely, <laughs> I started watching the first act of that movie. Yeah. I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, cool. What's the premise? And then they get to it, and you're like, there must be something else. What are they building to? Right. And at no point do they build to anything. It feels like they were trying to go for their Forrest Gump, but this is just not the one. It felt like if Forrest Gump had zero likability about him, that's who uh, this this character is in the greatest bureau ever. Uh, but yeah, can we uh, get into, like I think, our first movie of the week? Sure. I want to talk about uh, Woman King. Yes. Obviously, first thing I think we should talk about is just the tremendous performance by Viola Davis. Yeah. Right. I think that's like the one thing you kind of have to talk about as the most important part of this conversation because... She's being represented in this film in a way that I've never seen her represented in, in, in any kind of way like this. Yeah, kind of heading into this one, when I saw the trailer and the poster, I thought, oh, hang on a second. Isn't Viola Davis just kind of playing a very similar character to what she plays in Black Panther? But it's so much more than that. Once mm-hmm. you watch this movie, it's so layered, it's so deep, it's you know, it's based on actual history, yeah. although very, very Hollywoodized. Yeah, of course. They've taken some liberties there in yeah, terms yeah, yeah. of, you know, the character and the real person and who the real person was isn't exactly what we get in the movie. But that aside, fantastic performance. I feel confident enough to say that I can see her getting a nomination. She's absolutely getting one hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. that's like a real beautiful representation of like blackness mm-hmm. that was like representing this film. Like cause 
there's a conception that you have associated with like movies that are set in a like like in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And especially something like this, like they don't present the happiness and like the cheerfulness, like especially in the first third of this movie. I love the fact that we get to see, you know, people roasting each other, people having like really warm connections to each other, even though the idea of the film is like almost like tribes going to at war with each other. But we get to see like the much softer side of that at, at first. And it makes the characters feel so much more relatable. And it feels like almost like people I know and like people that like I would get along with. And I mm. love that that's the way they represent these characters. It's also so interesting that that's probably a result of them presenting this movie in English as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also set against the backdrop of the slave trade. And typically, I've only ever seen that angle when it comes to the American point of view. Like, what's yeah. happening with the slave trade in America or yeah. in some port, some part of, like, American kind of history there? Or maybe the UK. Never in Africa. Um, but, yeah, kind of talking about the, the, the kind of leads here, Viola Davis absolutely just incredible performance but she's backed up man Lashana Lynch great John Boyega who I haven't seen in a movie for a minute I thought wow this is actually an interesting direction he's heading in and I enjoyed his performance I actually think he's got some of the more uh funnier more humorous kind of like lines and scenes in the entire movie you know one thing I loved about his performance is how obviously how regal he comes across yeah but more than that is the fact that he was able to like take a backseat in a film like obviously that's massively impactful as the female representation that, that comes through in this film. Mm-hmm. More than that, it's just like, yo, he could have been annoying and been like, give me bigger moments. Right. Let me kill somebody. Let me do this or let me do that. None of that stuff really happened. And I'm glad that none of that stuff happened because it made every other character feel so much more important. And he was able to like understand his position in the film and execute in such a high level. Yeah. This is a historical piece, a historical drama. And I, when I was kind of like going into the movie, I thought, I thought of Gladiator, I thought of Braveheart. And I never thought this was going to reach a certain level for me because I, I had certain expectations going into this movie. Yeah. But by the time I left, I felt like it exceeded all my expectations. Yeah. And I, I, I was very entertained. And I actually thought there are some very, very strong emotional scenes. It's got a really good balance of a bit of everything there, I think. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a spoiler as well over here. But if you want, skip around like five minutes. But I, I think an interesting thing is how they presented the idea of revealing that her daughter mm. was in like in this tribe now and all this kind of stuff because there's a lot of ways that that could have been really corny and like different ways of like how do you present an interesting reveal of like oh this is my daughter and the way they did that with the shark tooth i thought number one was so imaginative Mm -hmm. and the way they were able to execute that the weight of everything like it made me like understand how like it was a very emotional and weighty moment and like i felt that on top of that we also get like really complicated conversations from this film like there's a really interesting conversation that they had at the end where basically like the daughter is almost like apologizing for being the result of like trauma for her mother Mm -hmm. right and then at the same time as like her mom's like absolving her of this guilt it's like a really powerful conversation have really powerful scene yeah Uh, i was so moved by it and it's just it's such a beautiful connection by both characters. And and more so than that, I was just like, where would this scene ever exist in any other film? Also, on a side note, isn't it interesting that this film like kind of is like the most pro-life film I've ever seen? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, for sure. It very much is. I, and, and again, like very interesting ways to kind of uh, approach all this. Uh, I love... Izogi. Izogi is just an incredible... I was like rooting, her, rooting for her like from the jump. And I, I knew she was going to die. You knew she was going to die. 
But like it was, it still hit me so hard when she did. Yo, Lashana Lynch is on a run. She's if you fantastic. haven't been paying attention, she's in the MCU. She was in a Bond movie last year, and now she's in the Woman King. She's on a run right now. She's fantastic, honestly. But yeah, let's get into some of our categories for this one. What about who do you have for uh, best character? Oh, that's easy. I mean, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Viola Davis as Naniska. Uh, you know, underrated character as well. I mean, I agree. Viola Davis is absolutely the best character in this movie. Uh, underrated character is the lady who wants to be. Uh, who's John Boyega's one of his wives the yeah. main one yeah. I forget what her name is but she's fantastic she's so vindictive yeah. the way she comes across is just great and those are the scenes I'm re- referring to from earlier on though some of those scenes are actually hilarious yeah yeah absolutely um, what about as far as best scene who would, oh, you, who would you go with that you literally kind of just described it but you know it's um, when Naniska tells Nawi Nawi by the way played by a young actress called Thuso Mandubu I have to say, blown away by her performance as well. I feel yeah. like she's someone that we should be paying attention to a little bit more moving forward. Yeah. But yeah, it's when Aniska tells Nawi that she's her mother and we get all these flashback scenes of the rape and giving birth and putting that shark tooth in uh, into her shoulder. But I also want to give an honorable mention, when Izogi dies, the way Thesu Ndebu performs in that scene, it's so powerful because the two form a bond throughout the entire movie as Izogi trains her to become a warrior. So when Izogi eventually passes away and dies from a gunshot right towards the final act of the movie, man, the way Nawi kind of breathes that all in, it was, it was, I could see people around me just tearing up because of that scene. So I have to yeah. give an honorable mention to that one as well. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's uh, that's a beautiful scene. But uh, there's a lot of scenes that are just so like impactful. Mm. I think the biggest one for me, though, is the reveal of the shark tooth. Yeah. Just the way they were uh, executed that was just like... I was shocked. I was like, like I knew that was coming. Yeah. But the way they were able to execute and make me actually feel something for that, like, was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as star ratings go, five being the best, zero being the worst. Where do you end up with this one? Giving it a four out of five. I think this is a really good, solid movie. Way above average in terms of the type of movie this is. Yeah. And I feel like outside of Viola Davis, who I think is a shoe-in, at the very least, to get a nomination, I feel like this is going to get a few nominations in other categories as Can well. Can I be honest? I think the the uh, race for Best Actress this year is so tough. Mm. So tremendously hard. Like, as, as much as she will probably get a nomination, I have no clue who's going to win this year. Mm-hmm. It's too tough. Between this, uh, the Fablemans, between... Uh, Empire of Light. There's just so many massively tremendous performances by women this year. It's just like, that's the strongest category I kind of walk away with. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, Olivia Coleman in yeah. Empire of Light. It's going to be so interesting to see who actually makes the cut. Yeah. Because I feel like when it comes to us recording our, you know, Oscar preview show this year and kind of giving our picks, it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, by the way, I'm, uh, I also landed at a four, four stars for this movie nice, as well. Nice, nice. Another movie that came out this week was Pearl. Please, Lord. Caring for your family during these times is admirable. But you only get one take at this life. If only they would just die. Pardon? Nothing. If I'm being honest, this is a completely different experience than Woman King. Uh, I think the biggest similarity that I kind of walk away with uh, right off top is massively strong performances by the the lead actress. Yes. Right? My goth. My, see, that's the thing, right? Like, as good as Viola Davis is, I would genuinely put Maya Goss' performance in the exact same category. Is she going to get nominated for Best Actress? Absolutely not. Mm. They don't recognize horror films. But should she be for this performance? Absolutely. Yeah, this is all about Maya Goth. Yeah. Her performance is so strong. I don't think there's a single scene 
that she her character Pearl isn't in it. Yeah. She's literally in every single scene of the entire movie. Yeah. And she does some crazy, crazy things from fornicating with a scarecrow to some of the kills she has in the movie. There's this incredible one-shot monologue towards the end. It's just the range of emotions that we see from her is is powerful to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And and on top of that, like well, first off, if you can, go out of your way to watch X before you get a chance to watch Pearl because uh, X is kind of like the original. This is like a prequel to it, but the stories aren't entirely connected where you have to watch it. Mm. But it does help, right? And one thing that it did help for me is it contextualized the character the entire way. Like, I'm sure for you, the reveal of how messed up Pearl was was like slowly being revealed as as it went on. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I hold my hands up. I haven't seen X, but I want to see X now. Mm-hmm. This, is this, if this is the, the prequel, the origin story of Pearl, I want to know what X is all about. I have no clue yeah. what that movie's about. I think so. the biggest difference for me is like I kind of walked away being like, okay, I know this character a little bit. Right. But now like just understanding right from the jump, like where we were getting, it was very interesting to watch the progression of that character. One thing I will say about this film is it feels like almost the best representation of the pandemic mm-hmm. through the through like a period piece yeah right like it was fantastic they they had so many parallels of like people wearing masks during the spanish flu and influenza and immunization and all these other things that are obviously like currently relevant topics but they placed it in a time when it's like okay cool well we're not experiencing that exactly but what like the characters are going through are like the most relatable things in the world because we just went through that as well yeah the first thing I'll bring up is like it's such an interesting exploration into the obviously mental health, but also for the Maya, Maya Goss character for Pearl, it's the idea that she's just not sure what the hell normal is, mm-hmm. right? She's so cooped up by herself in her barn while this pandemic is happening, and she just doesn't know what she she keeps talking about. Like I don't know if I'm normal, right? And I think in a way like that's like a relatable trait, but then they escalate it to such a fucking degree mm. that it's so interesting in like in therapy, like. Just saying something out loud, vocalizing it helps you understand of like whether you believe that thought or not. Like you're more aware of how it's being presented into the world. And she does that a lot throughout the entire movie. And she does that. And then the reveal of like when she actually speaks and says these like really absurd things out loud. It's like, oh, now I'm as weird as I was hoping I wasn't. And it's such an interesting dynamic because like you hope that like when you say something weird, that like this is going to be the end of it right like oh people are just going to tell me like you're normal everybody thinks this way no in this movie she doesn't think that way yeah this is also one of those movies that i don't think gets made if a24 isn't behind it a24 for those that haven't been keeping track is arguably our favorite studio this year um everything they've been producing has been top notch Mm -hmm. they are really backing some incredible filmmakers and look, right now, I know The Woman King is getting kind of all the love. It's the number one movie in the box office. I know for a fact Pearl isn't going to get that wide, wide release. But if you have time and you can find a theater, go out of your way to watch this because it is a visceral experience. Yeah. And also, it's just so interesting to see her relationships with her mom, her dad, mm. her sister-in-law, her, her friend, everybody. Right. And like even like the the uh, the person who plays the projectionist is just absolutely fantastic as well. And I just love the way she has like this relationship with fame and hoping that it's her way out. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Right. Like the idea that like they're thinking like, okay, cool. If I just got famous 
everything would be solved. And yeah. it's like that's the dilemma that she's going with, but she deals with it in the absolute worst way possible. It's yeah. such an interesting character. I absolutely love this movie. Mm-hmm. What about as far as this movie? Do you? I kind of want to get into our categories now. Mm-hmm. What do you have for best character for this one? I mean, it's Pearl played by my goth. There's no one else you can pick. What about best scene though? Best scene is for me, it's Pearl's monologue. I mentioned it earlier on, but yeah. like I said, it's one shot. I would love to know how many takes they took if it was literally just a one take and that was the one that made it into the movie or if they tried this a few times. But it's, I think, about a six, seven minute scene and the camera just stays on Pearl the entire time. And if Mia Goth ever needed to put out a showreel of what she's able to do as an actress, yep. watch this seven minute monologue job done she is absolutely incredible she really this is like a coming out party for me for her Mm. like it very much feels like an important role not only for her but like really to show that like look at what i can do Mm -hmm. like you're right like that is the perfect resume to send anybody to be like look if you want to see what i'm capable of like check this out Mm because it's one scene it doesn't feel like it's more than one shot it's purely just us looking at this woman just completely get everything off her chest yeah it's so visceral and it must be such like a like an emotional dump that she's just like dropping everything and hoping for the best. And then for to see like the result of that, it's one of the most interesting scenes of the entire year, if you ask mm. me. As far as best scene goes, that absolutely is that for me. Uh, as far as ratings go, I'm always curious to see where your rating is for this because sure. it's a horror movie. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you're not a big fan, but I, this feels like a different kind of horror movie. So zero being the worst, five being the best. Where does this end up? You might be surprised, actually. I've given this a 3.75, which is probably at the higher end of what I would give a horror movie. But you're right. This isn't horror per se. It's a slasher movie. But at the same time, it's not even just a full-on slasher movie. It's a, a kind of character study on this on this woman, Pearl. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like that's what allows me to be more emotionally invested in this kind of film, as opposed to if it was just a horror movie, if it was just a slasher movie. But you see what I mean? Like, we've talked about this in the past, but, like, the idea of saying, like, just a horror movie, mm. but, like, this is the evolution of horror movies these days, right? Like, as, as many horror movies I've seen in the past, like, five years, there are a lot of them that are on this level of, like, tremendous performances tremendous character growth just incredible plots and like just seeing how it all kind of plays out and the way they're able to use the genre Mm -hmm. as a tool within itself i just hope that at some point in the near future we start actually praising these movies for actually what they're doing right because they're not getting the love that a more quote-unquote serious movie would be taken look at bodies 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 yeah you could technically classify that as a horror movie again it's 824 what Maybe it's just A24. Maybe it's just A24 doing the right thing with these projects in the right genres that is helping with this evolution. But yeah, there you go. 3.75. Yeah, for me, uh, I rated it a 4.25. I think Maya Goss performance is just tremendously strong for me. And uh, a lot of the sensibilities and just the, the actual movie itself, like I walked away just with like such a feeling of dread. Yeah. Right. And the way the last, the, the third act kind of unfolds is just one of the most impactful, like, third acts of the entire year if you ask me before we move on to news if you had to say here's my top three movies i watched at tiff in no particular order that you hope folks check out in the coming months what would it be for me number one would be triangle sadness number two would be biosphere and number three would be empire of light i think those three are the top three movies walking at a tiff same yeah Ex- literally 
I would only maybe put Empire of Light as my number two and Biosphere number three, but we're talking like inches between them. The funny thing is I was actually considering putting Biosphere as number one. Oh, wow. Because like that's how much I love this movie. Yeah, I listen, think it's just tremendous. Those three movies, in like I said, in any particular order are my top three movies and as well. Guess what? They're all the most different movies from each other you could possibly get. They're not even like overlapping in genre. Uh, oh, one thing I will say for the entire TIFF experience, people... like should like they're not going to get this experience because you're watching all these films so spaced out right mm. but we watch them all in such a condensed time fablemans is really just like steven spielberg's love letter to like film right like how much film has meant to him in his life and how much of an impact it's had in his like literal story mm-hmm. uh empire of light is sam mendes just so worried right that like maybe films aren't going to be able to come back in movie theaters and it's his love letter to not only film but the film experience experiencing movie theaters the way he grew up doing it and like how much of an impact it's had on his life. And the same thing could be said as like other movies like Nope from earlier this year. And so many movies this year felt like just a love letter to film. And people were just, I got the sense that like after the pandemic, a lot of these guys were just worried, like maybe we're not going to get these movies or maybe we're not going to get to experience it in the same way. Going back to movie theaters, maybe streaming is the thing that like everyone kind of uses to experience our art now. But it didn't feel like that's something that they wanted to happen. And this was almost like a plea in a way to be like, guys, watch these movies. We still love movie theaters and we still love the experience of going to the movies. So that's the overall arc that I kind of walked away with. I co-sign everything that you just said. And all I want to add is one of my biggest takeaways from the experience in terms of the movies that were selected during the festival Mm -hmm. representation like that's a major major takeaway whether it be uh, sexual preference whether it be you know were you coming from a diverse ethnic background or my or community there are so many movies that i can talk to you about that just check the box of representation and and i feel like these movies almost belong in toronto specifically when it comes to diversity and representation i think it was a perfect selection of movies in the perfect city for the perfect festival at the perfect time listen at the end of the day tiff is a collection of film fans, right? And that's kind of a huge thing that I kind of walk away with is that when we, uh, we mentioned it last week, the idea of like when we go to a Marvel movie and we expect certain kinds of reactions from fans, now, like if I, if I want to go to like, when I go to TIFF, now I can expect that film fans are going to be having similar reactions for just great movies, mm. right? And like that is massively exciting to me. I can't wait to go back next year. I can't wait to see the reaction of our friends and family once they finally see the movies that we've already seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just going to be fun to see like how the public perception of like a lot of these films kind of rolls out as well. Yeah. But yeah, let's get into our news items for this week. First thing, uh, just as far as like some Marvel news goes, uh, one thing, we were talking about Thunderbolts last week after D23. Jake Schreier says that with Thunderbolts, you can expect to see an incredible group of people who share a certain type of past trauma, learning to work together in a way and overcoming some nondescript obstacles. Hmm. Does that get you excited for a movie like uh, Thunderbolt? It kind of... It feels like Suicide Squad, but yeah. it feels like, like that's exactly what I expected. Like, exactly. You, that's not a surprise. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why. Um, I hope their angle is going to be more interesting because I can already tell like this feels a little generic, if I'm being completely honest. I agree. But also in terms of Marvel news, as far as fan casting goes, Kiki Palmer actually came out and says that she wants to play Rogue in the MCU. I feel like... As far as like fun casting goes, that's like a home run. Yeah, right? that makes like, a lot of sense. But here's the other thing: is like, are we even getting the X Men anytime soon? Yeah, exactly. Are we waiting five, six, seven years for the X Men? That yeah. could potentially happen. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think of like when it's going to happen. But 
as far as like fan casting goes, like I think now's the time to like start doing it, right? Like, yeah, why not? Also, in terms of superhero news, Constantine, starring Keanu Reeves, is also set to have a sequel, and that's in development now with Warner Bros. Director Francis Lawrence will be returning as well. Are you a fan of Constantine? Are you excited for the sequel? Is it too long? Is it has it been too long since the last one? You know what I love about this story? Number one. I actually enjoyed Constantine when it first came out. I wouldn't go out to say it's like one of my favorite movies of all time, but I had a good time with that movie, right? Yeah. I'm just loving what Keanu Reeves is doing at the moment. The last few years. Yep. You know, like a while ago, I felt like he was a forgotten man in Hollywood. He comes back with John Wick and now he's got this incredible franchise. He came back with a Matrix movie and he got paid on that, no doubt. And now he's going back into the world of comic books and making a sequel. This is interesting because it's so much time, like you said, has passed yeah. since the first movie. Keanu is back. The same director is back. So let's see what they can do, what, 17 years later. Speaking of franchises, uh, there was a really interesting quote that came out with James Cameron. He was talking about a time when he was clashing with the studio over initial conversations about Avatar. One quote he said was, I drew a line in the sand and said, I made Titanic. This building we're meeting in, this new $500 million complex on your lot, Titanic paid for that. So I get to do this. Ooh, what a big dick move. This is James Cameron to a T. I've read and watched so many interviews. My dissertation at university many, many years ago was about the blockbuster, about Cameron, about Titanic. This is a man that will say whatever he needs to say. And he's bullish. He's out there. And he does. He has zero fucks. Like, he don't care. He's yeah. going to say what he wants to say. He's going to make his movies. And he's unapologetic about it. And honestly, I respect it. Honestly, and think about the swing now. Like, after the fact that Avatar became the most successful movie of all time. And then to be like, all right, well, by the way, guys, now that you see that this shit actually worked, give me four more <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Not later. Now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, let's not see how two does. Now I'm shooting four before two even comes out. You know, you can say what you want about Cameron and you can be a fan of his work. You Maybe you're not a fan of his work. But when you look at his whole journey in terms of where he came from in the late 70s, early 80s, and how he's kind of like almost paved his own path in the world of cinema and in, the, in, in Hollywood, you, you have to respect what he's done, man. Absolutely. He's got to be one of the most revered directories of all time 100 right? like, how could he not be yeah also in terms of casting news this past weekend we just saw uh, canelo versus triple g3 uh the fun thing about that we saw michael b jordan in the ring it came out last week that canelo is actually joining the cast for creed for creed 3 and that movie's coming out in march 2023 mm. as a fight fan as a boxing fan etc does that excite you is I'm not surprised right like i feel like they've had tyson in, in, in a rocky movie they've always tried to get you know, some real-life professional boxers to be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's a small little cameo. Maybe yeah. it's in a kind of gym where they're training or sparring or something like that. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a full-blown role where he's like a key character in a fight uh, that Adonis Creed is going to have. But let's see. Let's see what happens. Let's see how it plays out. I hope I hope that... That sounds like fun, though. Like, I like when they have other people that seem like they're actually interested in, like, the art form mm. actually contributing. Yeah. Like, I think of, like, the idea of, like, Bad Bunny in WWE. Like, that's because a fan. Yeah. Right? Like, why wouldn't Canelo be able to actually contribute in a positive way to a movie like Creed? Right. Especially having, like, Michael B. Jordan. It's his first time directing. It's his passion project. I, I feel like I can get excited about Creed 3 in a different way. That's actually the most exciting part of this whole movie for me. It is Michael B. Jordan acting and directing. Something that Stallone did a lot in the Rocky franchise and it didn't always work out. Yeah. So let's see if Jordan can do it. Absolutely. Next, uh, David Harbour. He's going to be starring in Neil Blomkamp's live action version of Gran Turismo. Uh, I don't know if you to play that on PlayStation, but 
I mean, I, initial my initial thought was like, okay, cool. What are we gonna do with this? How many race movies are we gonna have? Mm. But apparently, this is based on a true story. The project is being described as an ultimate wish fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won a series of Nissan competitions to actually become an actual professional race car driver. That sounds like fun because it actually like is like a modern adaptation. Like it's like taking what people are actually fans of and like turning that into like real life. That sounds like a blast. You had me sold when you said Neil Blomkamp. <laughs> Honestly, he's just a fantastic filmmaker and a director. And I know for a long time he was thinking about making an alien movie, a prequel, which he never got a chance to do. But yeah, anything that he does, I'm always going to be yeah, interested so. in. So we both know what this is about. Okay. I'm not buying that bullshit. This is about Vicky. Absolutely not. Yes, it is. And you know what else I think? Uh, I really don't care. I think you got to stop pretending to be someone else when you're around her. Okay. You just got to, just got to be yourself. You're literally quoting me to me. You do realize that. Well, maybe you need to listen to yourself. You ever think about that smarty pants? I mean, I listen to you and now look at me. Boom. Back in business. Yeah. It feels like the Stranger Things cast is like one of the biggest class of like people that are just coming out and being part of like really interesting exciting projects the other one i I, reason i said that is because maya hawk actually came out this week and says that she's down to actually come back for a stranger things spinoff but only if it's with joe curie she said normally i wouldn't be a proponent of a spinoff but if i got to do it with joe curie i would do anything if i was a betting man and netflix has the ip they own stranger things there's going to be something whether it's a spinoff whether it's going to be more series, you know, five years down the road, a prequel series, they are going to milk this cash cow for everything it's worth. It's interesting because of the characters and the combinations of people that I would want to see going forward and I feel like still have interesting stories going forward, those two actually do feel like one of the stronger couples, right? right? And obviously not couples, but like friends. Yeah. And that would be so interesting because like there's so much like other aspects to kind of explore the idea of like that time and her character exploring her sexuality and just uh, Steve is just like the best character on the entire show. But yeah, I feel like that's everything for the news. John, with the last segment of the show, Let's Get Wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. What is Sandu's pick this week? So you guys can't see The Fablemans until Christmas this year. We have both seen it. We loved it. You're going to get the full review at some point down the road. But I want to perhaps give you an appetizer, something that you can watch right now. It's Spielberg, a documentary from 2017. It's available on HBO Max in the US and Crave in Canada. I actually just stumbled across it earlier this year. And I have to say, and it's an in-depth and personal documentary on one of the greatest movie directors of all time, of course. But it's got appearances from his family, his friends, from peers, from, from critics. And in my opinion, it's the most revealing look at what made Steven Spielberg the man and the filmmaker he is. And a lot of what we saw in The Fablemans kind of drew me back to this documentary because he talks about his childhood and and how he was raised and the things he got up to and there's some home movies and some you know some short films from when he was a kid that are shown in this documentary so if you want a bit of a teaser heading into the fablemans in a couple of months check out spielberg from 2017 awesome that actually sounds like a really great documentary Mm. Uh, all right so for me broad's pick this week is going to be x from 2022 as well earlier this year again we saw Pearl, and it was fantastic. Go out of your way to watch that. But like I mentioned, make sure you watch X beforehand if you get a chance. It's a slasher film as well. It's just so interesting. It's a group of people that go down to, like, a farm on, like, the Bible Belt, and they want to just shoot a porn, right? Like, that's the story, but it becomes a slasher film, and it's absolutely fantastic. Obviously, Maya Goth is absolutely insane in that movie. But on top of that, that's also, like, fun to see other people like Britney Snow, Kid Cudi's in that movie as well, and... More importantly than that, Ty West 
is just like such a impactful player in not only the horror scene, but just film in general. I find so many of his films are just so interesting, so fun, so dynamic. And it's just really great to like find directors and get excited about their projects going forward. And the cool thing is they actually just recently announced that not only does X exist, not only do we just get Pearl, but we're also getting uh, the trilogy of that very soon. Um, so yeah, look out for that. It seems like it's a good time to invest in a franchise like this. But that's everything for this week. Where can everybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And hey, listen, if you have 20 seconds, do us a favor, rate and review us. It honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care. <laughs>